story. Let's go to Judges chapter number 15. Judges chapter number 15. Uh, We're going to have to probably divide this message into two weeks. There's a lot of information uh, in this, and uh, I want to be able to get through it. Um, we are going to, the first six verses are kind of going to be an introduction, starting us out tonight. Um, and then we'll get into one thought I really want to get to you about our spiritual warfare um, and things that we're going to deal with here tonight. Um, but in Judges chapter 14, you know what happened, how remember we talked about how Samson went to his uh, father and wanted the woman of Timnath, the Philistines, and uh, uh, he said, get her for me to wife. And he was very rude to his parents about all of that and uh, the way that he presented. And Samson had an idea of always uh, looking into uh, life the way he wanted it, not the way God wanted it. And uh, it's amazing how God piggybacks messages and uh, what I was preaching this morning to how it ties into tonight's message as well. But I'm going to read through a lot of this chapter tonight just to kind of give you an idea of what's going on and where we're at. There's 20 verses uh, in this chapter. And so we're going to read that tonight. Uh, Starting in verse number 1, the Bible says, But it came to pass within a while after, in the time of wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with a kid. And he said, I will go in unto my wife into the chamber. But her father would not suffer him to go in. And her father said, I verily thought that thou hadst utterly hated her. Therefore I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. And Samson said concerning them, Now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. And Samson went and caught three hundred foxes and took firebrands and and turned tail to tail and put the firebrands in the midst between the two tails. And when he had set the brands on fire, he let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines and burn up both the the uh, the shocks and also the standing corn within the vineyards and olives. And the Philistine said, Who had done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timonite, uh, Timonite, because he had taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. And Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you, and after this, and after that I will cease. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And he went down and and dwelt in the top of the rock of uh, of Etnam. Verse 9 says, Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why are ye come up against us? And they answered, To bind Samson are we come up, and to uh, to do to him as he had done to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went to the top of the rock of Etnam and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is it that thou hast done unto us? And he said unto them, As they did unto me, so have I done unto them. And they said unto him, We are come down to bind thee, that we may deliver thee into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said unto them, Swear unto me that you will not fall upon me yourselves. And they spake unto him, saying, No, but we will bind thee fast and deliver thee into their hand, but surely we will not kill thee. And they bound him with two new cords and brought him upon, uh, and brought him up from the rock. And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mighty upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax, 
that was burnt with fire and his bands loose from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass have I slain a thousand men. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of the hand and the Philist, uh, and the and called the place Ramathlea, uh, and he uh, and he was sore uh, arthurst, uh, sore thirst, and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. But God clave an hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Wherefore he called the name thereof Enhekor, which is in Lehi unto this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines twenty years. As I was reading through this passage, there's some different things that we need to uh, look at. But in the last message we talked about, we found Samson's life going from bad to worse. Uh, it seemed like everything that he did was in complete defiance to uh, what God had told him not to do, and he did those things anyway. He persisted in marrying an unbelieving Philistine and went against his parents' counsel and the principles of God's word, and uh, he went against all of those things. And uh, at this wedding feast, he uh, gave the the riddle, if you remember, and then a wager of that said, if you'll get this riddle and I'll give you these coats and different things like that. And uh, they conspired with his uh, new bride to be and said, listen, uh, get him to tell you the riddle. And uh, long story short is uh, she did that. And then Samson got furious and uh, he kills 30 men uh, with clothing to pay this wager instead of doing it himself he kills other people takes their stuff and gives it to them and uh he's not uh he basically just gets really angry and he leaves and while he leaves his father-in-law gives away his bride to his companion or his best man and all of these things and as he did this and samson leaves he returns to his father's house without uh, going, finishing uh, through the marriage. And uh, in that day and age, that was considered really a marriage being annulled that the husband didn't keep his end of the, the deal. But he leaves and he was going to come back later on, but he doesn't realize what has taken place. And now we come to this chapter in chapter number 15. And the Philistines had dealt unjustly with Samson. Here his father-in-law gives away his bride and now he comes back and uh, he's finds out that his bride's given to somebody else and the father-in-law says here take her little sister and uh, she's more fair than him and, and he gets angry again and uh, his rage goes out by the way had he just obeyed God in the first place none of this stuff would have taken place but because he was going to his own flesh he had to deal with that he seemed like he always had trouble uh, getting motivated to fight the Philistines for the right reasons uh, he was supposed to fight the Philistines because they were the enemy of God that's why he was supposed to fight them he was supposed to fight against the Philistines because they represented uh, being part of the world. And the Bible tells us as believers in Christ that we're not to love the world, neither things that are in the world, that if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he just seemed to lack motivation of fighting them for the right cause. He fought them because of the cause that made him or how he was unjustly treated. 
and different things of that nature. He was very apathetic about the things of God and his attitude was reflected in his attitude towards his Nazarite vow and all those things. He, he really didn't care what he wasn't supposed to do and all of that. He pretty much did it anyway. But whenever it concerned Samson, he was motivated to fight. If it concerned the things of God, he wasn't. But if it concerned him, he was ready just to argue and fight about it because he wanted what he wanted and it didn't matter what anybody else thought. And as I thought about this, I began to think about how that's like many Christians or many believers in Christ. A church of believers has a Samson complex pretty much in our ministry. Uh, our attitude about the work of, the, of God is let somebody else fix the problem. Let somebody else do the work. I want to do what I want to do and it doesn't matter what... I'm called to do by God. It doesn't matter what uh, I've been born into his family. It doesn't matter that I'm supposed to be holy. It doesn't matter that I'm not supposed to touch the unclean thing. It doesn't matter uh, that I'm not supposed to live like the world, act like the world, talk like the world. What matters is what makes me happy. Let somebody else do what God wants. That's kind of the Samson idea. That's kind of what Samson had. And I'm kind of just setting the stage for what the message is all about tonight. But that's the sign of a weak church. A weak church is the type of church that wants to live for themselves and not live for God. We gain our strength through the Lord. Our attitude towards our personal involvement and the importance of ministry and all of those things and the testimony of Christ in our community, all of these things, when we worry about those things, when we worry about our, our attitude towards the work of God and we worry about the testimony of Christ in our community and we worry about the importance of ministry and we worry about all of those things for the right reasons, that's a strong church. But a weak church is one that just wants to do their own thing. And see, Samson was weak because he had a problem. He had a lust problem. He had a selfish problem. He had a pride problem. As I look at the life of Samson, it teaches me that my motivation for service is a huge factor in determining how faithful I'm going to be to the Lord. What motivates me to do things for God? See, what motivated Samson was he fought against them because he was unjustly. It, it, it didn't appeal to him at the time. It didn't go the way he wanted it to go. So that's what made him fight. But that's not what's going to make us be faithful in 2020. That's not what's going to be, make us be faithful in our life for the cause of Christ. What it is that motivates us for service will play a huge part in determining how faithful we will be in our service for the Lord. What is our motivation? The Apostle Paul, I remember reading where he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He began to talk about his motivation for doing it. I love him. I love the Lord. Why? Because he first loved me. It's the love of Christ constrained me, he said. That's what urged him. It's what compelled him. It's what drove him on. And we heard testimonies tonight of where God has brought us from to where we are today. And we can give God the glory for changing a wicked sinner and making them have a heart of compassion towards other people. And uh, people that you, you would look at maybe and say where people would have looked at Brother Ron and his testimony and say there's no way God's ever going to use him. But because he allowed God to use him and he focused on uh, the life that God wanted him to have and his motivation changed, 
God was able to use him. See, God was doing a work through Samson despite his negative reason. And we're going to see some things that God does uh, in all of these things. But if our motivation is selfish, then our service will be corrupted. It will be inconsistent. There will be spurts, flashes of good things, just like there was in Samson's life. There were some flashes of some good, but then all of a sudden it came back because of his own selfishness. And these results will leave us dissatisfied when we get to this, this area in our life. But if our motivation for service is the Lord and His glory, we'll be steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. If we allow the Lord to motivate us in our work, we're going to be able to accomplish a whole lot more than if we just do it for ourselves. See, what motivates me in my life, uh, in my service for God, is the love I have for the Lord. What motivates me towards providing for my family is the love I have for my family. I'll go beyond, above and beyond in doing things. Why? Because I care for them. And that motivates me to do things. But when we do things for self, it leaves us empty inside. And that's where Samson was. Listen, when a loved one dies and draws near to Christ, and when the doctor says that we have cancer or where we're going through a surgery or uh, all this, that, and the other, we can still find peace if our motivation towards the things of God are right. But we get bitter when our motivation is selfish. And see, Samson was doing things to this point so far the way he wanted to do it. But now Samson has gone off and he's cooled off after this deceit that he had and he comes back, finds out he's being deceived again that it didn't happen and now his rage flies off again. He comes back and he finds out then he just decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set their whole fields on fire. I'm going to do all this stuff and he catches these fox and he does all this stuff and he sets their uh, their cornfields on fire and all of this stuff and uh, it ended up that He thought he was going to have a welcome return, but here it is, he was cheated and he goes through now and he begins to fight the Philistines for the wrong reason. He's fighting them because of his lack of uh, gain, as you would say, his lack of what he wanted. He begins to fight them. The thing that Samson was so sure of was unstable. The thing that Samson thought that he was going to gain wasn't there at all. And oftentimes we see things the way we want to see it and we think, oh, that's a sure thing and it's not God's plan for our life and it ends up falling out from underneath of us. But his relationship with his Philistine wife, he thought was a sure thing, but it wasn't. And there's a lot of people today banking on the things that they think are sure, but they're not. Their bank accounts, their jobs, their health. They bank on those things, but those things could be gone in just a moment. Some feel their good deeds or religion will get them to heaven. But one thing is for sure, that that won't. It won't get you to heaven. What gets you to heaven is Jesus Christ and Him alone. He's the only way. Christ is the sure thing. Psalm 19 and verse 7 said, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. A lot of times we're on unstable ground because we're not on the Lord's ground. We're not on the ground He wants us to have. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, it said, Nevertheless, the foundations of God standeth sure. In 2 Peter 1, verse 19, it says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Listen, our salvation is sure because of God's word. 
Our work and our service for God is sure because of the Word of God and the walk with God. And uh, it's sure because of a relationship that we can have with the Lord. But oftentimes we, we try to serve the Lord the way we want it. We want God to meet our expectations. And sometimes as a pastor I face uh, trials with uh, solutions sometimes that are not satisfactory. You say, what do you mean by that? There's couples who disobey God's word. They'll come to you, ask you for counsel. You tell them what God wants them to do according to the Bible and they won't do it. You think there's something so sure that I just know it can help fix the problem and they just won't heed to it. They rebel against God. They won't repent of their sin. And when their home crumbles, they want the pastor to fix their marriage. Want the pastor to fix their problem. By the way, the pastor can't fix their marriage. The pastor can't fix their problem. It's only God that can do that. I can't fix anything about you other than point you to the one that can fix it. I can only take you to God. Listen, God can heal your home if you'll let him, if you'll put him first. If couples will seek biblical counsel and prayer before marriage, many problems could be avoided. If they stay faithful in coming to church and they do things for the right cause, they'll be able to make it in their life. Through the hard times, through the valleys, we'll be able to make it because we're living for the right cause. But Samson is consistently excluded from receiving what he thought would revive or that he would receive from the Philistines and this is the way that sin operates many times it makes you think that you're going to gain something but you don't Satan shows you temporary delights without showing you the eternal disasters of it it dangles that that shiny thing in front of you that's all that glimmers is gold and makes you think all of that but it's not it's really a trap that leads you into defeat and that's what happened really with Samson's life. He saw a lot of things and he, he was supposed to be living a totally different life. He was supposed to be living a life different from what he was living. And it's a shame that his actions uh, are poor in this area. But I want you to see what t- takes place here real quick. Look at verse number 2. And her father said, Verily I thought that thou hadst utterly hated her. Therefore I gave her thy companion, uh, gave her to thy companion, Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. Now listen, when a marriage happened in these days, there was a dowry that was paid for that daughter. If you remember, a lot was brought for that daughter of Timnath, for Samson. And he gets angry because he was deceived by his wife. So he leaves to cool off. And while he's gone, his father-in-law does something. Because guess what? His actions were not acting as a Christian should. And oftentimes in our life, we allow our actions to cause other people's conduct to be a stumbling block in their life. You say, what do you mean? Our actions, our lack of following God causes somebody else to make the wrong decision. And that's what happened here, really. Samson didn't make the right decision, so now his father-in-law doesn't make the right decision. And we're coming down to all of this, and I'm leading you to really up near verse 7 is where we're going to really start. But if we're going to go through all of these things that we see happening here, is really what it boils down to is his selfishness and pride has now caused him to be defeated. What God considered unclean at the time really was no concern to Samson. Remember, he touched the, the dead carcass there and 
all of those things. And even if you read through the book of Leviticus, he wasn't even supposed to touch the foxes either, the things of the Paul and all that. But he caught those things and put firebrands on their tails and sent them through there. So all that that God considered unclean, really, it didn't matter to him. He was going to do what he needed to do to make himself feel better. But I'm going to preach a message to you tonight, really starting in verse 7 down through the end of the passage of Scripture. It said, And Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you, and after that I will cease. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and he went down and dealt and dwelt in the top of the rock of Etam. Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. Now, I want you to understand what the Philistines represent. They represent the enemy of God. That's what they, they represent. Here, Samson now is getting ready to fight against these Philistines. And so far, we've seen a self-centered, spoiled little brat in Samson, pretty much, who didn't need anybody but himself. He thought it was all about him. He was proud. He was undisciplined. He was cocky. He was, into, he was boastful. He was independent. He was rebellious. Doesn't sound like a good example or somebody to judge the nation of Israel. But God was going to use him. He really was like the he-man of the day. But he had a problem. He had a she-weakness. What was it? The women. That was his problem. He saw that more than God. Concerning his appetite towards the other uh, women and towards a lot of this, he was totally out of control. He lacked wisdom and discernment in all of these areas. He was one that you would say in today's day and age that he would look at his parents and say, well, they're just old-fashioned. They don't understand what it's like uh, living the way I live. By the way, young people, your parents have lived a life, and you need to understand they were kids once. They understand what it's like to be kids. But where does his rebellious, cocky attitude get him? It got him deception by his wife. It got him disappointment of his parents. It got him destruction and the death of his wife. We read through all that. And now we read about how his homeland, he now flees and he's up on the rock all by himself. He's out of his homeland, up by himself, this detachment from his home. And now his own people are denying him and deserting him and wanting to bring him back to the enemy. And he burned these fields of the Philistines with fire. He retaliated. And all of these things, the Philistines then retaliate against him. Now a war is on. Samson's furious. He's got this roller coaster ride of rage in his mind and in his heart. But now Samson's coming to this place where he's trying to get revenge for his own self. But the Philistines represent the enemy of God, and here they're coming back on the revenge against him. And listen, any time that you go on the attack against Satan and the world, guess what he's going to do? He's going to fight back. And so I'm going to preach a message to you really tonight that I've entitled, Are You on Satan's Most Wanted List? Are you on Satan's Most Wanted List? And I believe as we go through this, I want to share some things about their search for Samson and what they're looking for that applies to us in the message. But are you on Satan's Most Wanted List? Here, starting in verse number 9, as we're going down through, it says, Then. 
I want you to look, because of all that Samson had done here now, by the way, he was making a lot of bad choices and all these things, but now the enemy's going on the attack. And they're coming after him. Samson flees to the rock of Etnam, verse 9 here, it says, or verse 8, it shows where he went. It said, then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. And I'm going to share some things with you out of these verses, verse 9 and 10, that I believe will help us out here tonight. But the Philistines come looking for him. They, the invasion and the death, and this, all that happened that he did to the Philistines and all of this now reveals some interesting things that I believe we can see in these passages of Scripture. And in the spiritual battle that we face, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and he tells them to put on the whole armor of God. He provides everything that's necessary for our battle. But there's some insights about spiritual battle that I believe we're going to find in this passage of Scripture as the Philistines come on the attack, which represents how Satan does it and what he does in his work. And if we're not ignorant of Satan's devices, it'll help us out a lot. If we're not ignorant of Satan's devices, it's really going to give us a long uh, way and uh, be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I want you to see firstly the time of the opposition. The time of the opposition. The key word that we're going to focus on in this was then. He said then. Then the Philistines went up. This ripple of Samson's Revenge widens and the Philistines now reevaluate Samson. He had given them some serious blows. So a thousand people uh, are getting ready to die with this jawbone. But all these other people had lost all their fields. And uh, different people had died in all this area. And he gave them a serious blow to these forces that were around. And if we look at it, there's times that as we get involved in the things of God, we give a serious blow to Satan. And listen, the Philistines represent what happens when the enemy of God. And that's what they represent. And as I was looking through this and studying through this, when a serious blow is given to satanic forces, they react quickly. Satan's not going to sit back and twiddle his thumbs and wait to come on the attack. He's going to come on the attack immediately. My mind went to the story of Job. When God said, Hast thou considered my servant Job? For there's none like him in all the earth. One that feareth God and escheweth evil. And as soon as he left the presence of God, it said, Then the servant came unto Job and told him that all his children were in a house. And uh, winds came and the house fell down and killed them all. And while he was yet speaking, another one came and said that the enemy came and took all the spoils. And while he was yet speaking, another thing... All within a matter of moments. You know why? Because anytime you go on the attack against Satan or anytime Satan's challenged or given an opportunity, he's going to go on the attack quickly. The Philistines represent that. As soon as Samson fled, guess what they said? Then they came after him. Then they came after him. Immediately. Immediately they came. Satan's not going to wait around. He's not going to mess around. He's going to immediately try to attack. He's trying to hinder God's army of soldiers. He's trying to hurt the church of God. He's trying to do all of that because he hates God. He's trying to get us, and he's going to do everything he can do to destroy the work of God. He's going to begin a counterattack. He's going to bring opposition from the outside, even from within the church. 
he's going to do all that he can. The Christian life is not a playground, it's a battlefield. The life that we live is not a uh, picnic that we're going to. We are in a war, a spiritual warfare. And any time that you upset the, 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 the enemy, they're going to go on the attack. And by the way, if Satan's not bothering you, you ought to wonder why. You ought to wonder why. The Philistines ignored the Israelites because they weren't a threat. They were living amongst the Philistines. They were servants to the Philistines. See, the Philistines didn't have to worry about the Israelites, Brother Nick, because they were under their leadership. And oftentimes, Satan doesn't have to worry about a lot of God's children because they follow him anyway. They live under him anyway. Remember later they said, are they not rulers over us? Talking about that that the Philistines said. The Philistines ignored them because they weren't a threat. But I wonder, are we a threat to Satan? Are we on Satan's most wanted list? I thought about it in the New Testament when that devil looks and he says, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? Why did he know Paul? Because Paul was on Satan's most wanted list. I wonder, is Faith Baptist Church on Satan's most wanted list? A lot of people will say, well, I don't want to be on Satan's most wanted list. The fact of the matter is, if you don't want to be, you're not going to be. Because guess what? When you get on Satan's most wanted list, it's because you earned that privilege of being on Satan's most wanted list. I read a story about a man who came up to a pastor one day and asked this question. He said, what is all this talk about the devil? I have never met with him. The pastor quickly replied, of course you haven't. You're never going to meet someone when you're going in the same direction and speed as they are. But if you turn around, however, and start going the other way, you'll meet him soon enough. Which direction are you going in your life? Are you going the same way that Satan's going down that path that Satan's taking people down? Or are you going down the narrow way? Which direction are you going through? So the time of the opposition, it's now. Guess what? We're in a fight. We're in a warfare. But the technique of the opposition, I want us to show you this in verse 9 as well. There's a technique of this opposition. The second thing about this spiritual warfare found in the words here in verse number 9. First off, we saw then the Philistines, which shows us the time. And he pitched in Judah, and look what it says, and spread themselves. Spread themselves. The fact that the Philistines spread themselves reminds me of the fact that that evil desires to penetrate every area that it can. It doesn't just stay localized in one little area. It spreads itself out because when something spreads itself out, it can be small, but it looks larger when it spreads out. When there's a battle going on or something, a lot of times they will take up different areas and they'll set up spreading out wide because they look like there's more when they spread out. But sin is never content with just a small area of your life. It wants to devour you. All of you. Not just part of you. It wants to penetrate every area that it can. That's why the Bible says to put on the whole armor of God. Because it's going to try to get every part of you. The Philistines 
wanted no opposition from Judah. They wanted to control the Israelites completely. They didn't want just, just Judah. They wanted all of it. But they had control of Judah. And they began to spread themselves out here at the area and start overtaking area that didn't belong to them. They wanted to control the Israelites and Satan desires to find us. He wants to blind us. He wants to make us uh, into basically into subjection under him. And it brings ineffectiveness in our life. A small number looks large when it's strategically spread around and and steals fear upon the enemy. And you know why Satan allows his sin to spread out? Because it looks intimidating and fearful. And it seems like when he comes at us from all these different sides, it's how we're supposed to stand and intimidates us, makes us want to run and cower and all of these things. It brings us back to the idea that I preached on this morning about unbelief it overwhelms our faith when satan begins to come at us from all these different sides we get overwhelmed in all of this and we begin to say things like my life can't improve or get better we begin to say things like god's way is not going to work the lord can't solve my problem god's word's not relevant today the bible's full of errors normal people don't believe in god you're all uh you're made fun of if you talk about god you're not popular you're all alone you're a nut a fanatic a weird person in society those are the kind of things that begin to happen when you begin to get overwhelmed by the opposition and the enemy around us But I want to admonish you tonight to beware because doubt and unbelief is going to try to bluff you out of your faith. It's going to try to bluff you out of your faith. Don't give up. God never fails. The technique is they spread out, make it look bigger than it really is. See, you understand if you read the Bible that we have a higher power. If God be for us, who can be against us? But you know what Satan's good at? He's good at making our coworkers say something to us, and then we go out to the uh, gas station, and somebody makes fun of us there, and then we go out here, and we t- oh, and it just seems like everywhere we turn, there's opposition, and it's spread out. You know why he does that? Because he's trying to intimidate us, to make us not fight the battle against him. So we saw the time of it, the technique of it. But I want you to see the turf where he brings it to. The place of the attack. Samson's taken refuge in his homeland, in the land of Judah. And we oftentimes think we come to the church house so we're safe. But you know what Satan's going to try to do? He's going to bring the fight to us. He's going to bring the fight to us. He's going to come to where we feel most comfortable. Where we feel like we can let our guard down. The place where we seem the safest. That's where he's going to come. And he's going to try to bring that to us. He invades where we're located. And he tries to bind the attacker. That's going to come after him. Our opposition is to take shelter in the cleft of the rock. That's what we're supposed to do. Here he's in this rock of Etnum and he's up there by himself and all of these things. And the Lord Jesus is our refuge. He's the rock of our salvation. He's the one on which we stand. And this is the only time now that these Jews wanted to form a posse, as you would say, and start fighting. But guess who they choose to fight? 
their own. Samson. Because the fight comes to them, now they're all concerned about all of this, and they have one purpose, to capture their own. And Samson breaks this cruel yoke of the Philistines that's there, and he comes to the to his homeland, and he thinks he's safe. Now the Philistines bring the battle to them, and uh, he's really put a big dent in the enemy so far, and now they're coming to bring the battle back to him, and they begin to intimidate God, God's people. And they begin to actually fight for the Philistines instead of fight against them. They were hateful instead of hopeful. They come to Samson and this tribe of Judah. They should have been the ones that were scolded for not helping Samson in the battles. The tribe of Judah was known as the lion tribe is what they were known as. But guess what? They had very little roar about them. They were the lion that was cowering down in the background. They had accepted the status quo lifestyle and their opposition to evil was gone. They had given up and stopped trusting the Lord. They suffered from apathy. They didn't have any sympathy for Samson at all. Judah could have rallied around Samson to throw off the enemy, but rather than that, they tried to bind Samson. And there are several things we see of what took place here. First, it's possible for believers to get to the place where they prefer slavery of sin rather than spiritual freedom. They prefer the slavery, the slavery of sin rather than spiritual freedom. Compromise becomes more comfortable than commitment. It's what happens. That's where Judah is in this period in life. They would rather be a slave to the Philistines than set free. They'd rather live comfortable under the bondage of sin than to be set apart and meet for the master's use. They would rather compromise than go out and fight. They weren't courageous at all. They begin to reason, I'm sure, just like we do. What's the use? The enemy's bigger than we are. It won't change anything. We'll just give in. We'll have to fight another battle later. The fact is, you serve God, you're going to fight a battle till you die. Because Satan's not going to let up one bit. But secondly, we see these compromisers. They had no time for the commitment. And Samson's resistance to the Philistines was now an embarrassment to the tribe of Judah. Anybody who stands up for God, it seems like in the day and age we live in, is just an embarrassment to other God's other people that's supposed to be living for God. But because we've been comfortable in our area here, but now Satan's on the Philistines' most wanted, or Samson's on the Philistines' most wanted list. He's just really put a big dent in the Philistines. Though he was doing it for the wrong reason, God had allowed him to fight against them and to do this. And guess what? We need to fight and make a dent in Satan's army. And when you do that, you're going to be on his most wanted list. But there's going to come times, you, you mark my words, what's going to happen is people that are supposed to be on your side, they're going to fight against you. People that are supposed to be going the same direction, they're more comfortable in their slavery to sin than they are in their service for God. They're more comfortable in their carnality than they are in Christ. And they're going to fight against you. They're going to fight against you. But Judah's ignorance of Samson 
and who he was, he was supposed to be the judge of the nation of Israel. Reminds us of our ignorance of Christ and who he is. Who Christ is. Every age that we read about, man have been ignorant towards Christ. Even from the time of Christ, people were ignorant about who he was. The Bible says in John 1 and verse 10, He was in the world and the world was made by Him and the world knew Him not. It knew Him not. Samson was the deliverer and they didn't realize it. Men today don't realize that Christ is the deliverer from hell. They don't realize it. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But they don't realize it. Judah's ignorance of Samson has the same effect as man's ignorance on Jesus Christ. We're going to end with these things that I show you here. They dishonored what should have been honored. They should have honored Samson fighting against the Philistines, but they dishonored it. That's what happens when we forget about who the battle's really for. When we forget about who Christ is and why we're fighting this fight, we're going to dishonor what ought to be honored. They rebuked what should have been reverenced. They rebuked it. They forsook what should have been followed. And they were apathetic toward what should have been adored. And that's how we are in our life when we allow the bondage of sin to live so much. And See, Samson now is on the Philistines' most wanted list. And there was the place, the the time of this battle is now. Guess what? Satan's going to fight us. The technique that he uses is he tries to bring it from every side and even from within. And he'll bring it to where we are. He'll bring that battle here. But we have to remain steadfast. Going forward. Fighting this good fight. Next week I'm going to talk to you about what happens with Samson. How it's a picture of the Holy Spirit releasing us from bondage. And how Samson begins to get a little wiser. Just in this next area of chapter 15 as we're going to go down through it but just in this brief time that we've had here tonight and we see where samson's gone to what's happening in this and i'm really trying to teach you through this passage and some of the things that we're learning and but the fact is this we need to be on satan's most wanted list when satan hears our name i wonder does he begin to fear because he knows who we're following he knows who comes with us to the fight He knows that it's not just us. The only reason Satan fears you and I is because of the one who lives inside of us. If we're walking in the Spirit, Satan's going to run. He's going to fight or he's going to tremble. He's going to cower away because he's no match for God. But when we come to Satan by (laughs) ourselves, he says, just like Goliath, am I a dog? You know what? He's not afraid of you. He's afraid of God in you. And listen, the Philistines, they weren't afraid of Israel. They weren't afraid of Judah. They were already under here. But they knew that if Samson had the power of God upon his life, they were no match for him. So you know what they were trying to do? And they were trying to let Judah fight their battle. They were trying to let God's people fight the battle for them. Hey, maybe if we get them stirred up, guess what they're going to do? They're going to go get him. You know what Satan tries to do sometimes is he tries to stir up the church because if he can stir up the church, he can get to the pastor. If he can stir up the kids, he can get to the parents. If he can stir up the one spouse, he can get to the other spouse. 
If he can stir up the bank account, he can cause discouragement. If he can stir up all this, and that's what he tries to do. But we have to be aware of it. We have to not be ignorant of Satan's devices. And listen, we just need to keep fighting that fight. It's amazing how when we read in Scripture, Satan knew who it was. When I was telling you about when he said, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? I began to think about, as I was studying for this message, on how I just like to picture things and put myself there that, you know, all the demonic beings had this poster of Paul that says, most wanted, we want you to get him down. Because everywhere he goes, people are getting saved. Everywhere he goes, he's preaching the gospel and he's turning the world upside down. And not because of him, but because of who he's just sold out to. And we need to destroy him so we can destroy the work of God going forward. And I want you to understand that's what Satan tries to do in our life. He tries to destroy us so that he can destroy all those that are watching us. All those that are around us. You know what? If he can destroy Faith Baptist Church, he can destroy a lot of people that watch Faith Baptist Church. If he can destroy the mom and dad, he can destroy the children. If he can destroy the Sunday school teachers or the bus workers or the junior church teachers or the master club workers, he can get to those kids. We have to remember how he fights and his techniques of how he does it. And I want you to purpose in your heart to be on Satan's most wanted list. That when he hears the name Ron quick, he says, whoa, we're not just going to be able to fight this battle easy. Because I know who he's coming armed with. He's coming with the word of God. And the Bible says if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. How about this? How about this year, 2020, Faith Baptist Church gets the devil on the run? I'm all about that. I'm all about seeing Satan tuck his tail and run. Why? Because we come armed with something greater than what he is. We come armed with the word of God. We come armed with... All that God has given us. And we just go on the offense against the devil. See, we're going to find next week what Samson does and how he uses some wisdom and how he comes to fight against the enemy. Oh, he could have fought against his, his, his countrymen. He could have fought against the Israelites. But he waits. And you're going to find all that later. But listen, we need to be wise as a serpent. The Bible says, harmless as a dove, when it comes to people fighting against us. Listen, understand who the enemy really is. When people come after you, understand who it is that really fighting us. It's Satan using them to fight against us. I told you guys last week I received a letter in the mail uh, by somebody who was trying to discourage me. And they wouldn't, address, they wouldn't put their name on it. They didn't even write a return address. They just wrote our church address as the return place and the sending place. And you know what it was all about? It was trying to discourage the work of God. It was trying to say, hey, you know what? You need to be more tolerant about this or more tolerant about that. Or if you don't preach as hard on that. And I only read like the first three, three verses or three lines of it and then just ended up throwing it in the garbage. But the fact of the matter is this. It's Satan's tool. I could be mad at somebody that says they send me this letter. I could be all upset about it. Or I could realize who the battle really is with. It's with Satan. You know what it made me want to do rather than get discouraged and all that? It made me want to turn up the heat. It made me want to get more involved. 
in the work of God. It made me want to dive into the Bible even more and put Satan on the run. That's what we need to do. And any time a critical spirit, any time somebody comes after you in that mindset, understand who it is that's really fighting. Who's behind it all is the enemy. That person's not our enemy. Satan's our enemy. And we need to realize that it's a spiritual warfare. and We just need to go on the offense against the devil. Let's be on Satan's most wanted list. I wonder tonight, is there some things in our life that we need to just fix so that we can bring ourselves to that place where they put a poster of us up? Hey, there's Faith Baptist Church. They're on our most wanted list. But when they come on the offense, they get an offensive response because we have the Word of God. And then Satan begins to run. Oh, there's going to be some casualties here and there. That's just part of battle. But you know what? I read the last chapter of the book. We win. Don't be discouraged. We win. Why do we win? Because of whose side we're on. Not because of me, not because of you, but because of the one we follow. We win the war. Let me encourage you just to stay in the fight. Get on Satan's most wanted list. Maybe you're here tonight, you're not even saved. You're actually on his team. Because he's your father. You say, what do you mean he's my father? The Bible says if you're not saved, you're of your father, the devil. I wonder if you trust Jesus Christ as your savior tonight. Get on the right side that you're supposed to be on. But if you are saved, listen, let's just, let's just turn Martinsburg upside down because we put Satan on the run this year. That's my prayer, is that we do that. With our heads bowed.